This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 1st, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The effort to contain or otherwise throttle the development of cryptocurrency in the U.S. continues with members of Congress now seeking heavier regulation of crypto wallets and all manner of third-party crypto businesses. But it's not precisely clear who benefits from a crypto crackdown. Cato's Nick Anthony evaluates the current state of play in Congress. There are many lawmakers who would like to regulate cryptocurrency which I think just that alone tells you that they don't necessarily understand how it works. There are third parties that that deal in cryptocurrency, but it, it, in so many cases, crypto is a distributed, unowned, in a sense, piece of technology. And so it's difficult, it would be difficult to do from, from that perspective because there's no one that you can lean on to get the correct behavior out of. And it's international. It flies through the wires, the series of tubes. And so it, it from, from that perspective, it's, it's just a, it seems like an almost non-starter. So how have members of Congress who s- desperately want to engage in this kind of regulation, what are they pushing now? Probably the worst example we have on the table right now is with the the CANSI Act, or the Crypto Asset National Security Enhancement Act, where it sees the problem that you just described, that we have a surveillance status quo based on pressuring and leaning on third parties to get information. And how does this respond? They essentially invent third parties. And they do this in kind of two ways. They They create this huge definition of control to basically say anyone who has a a slight influence on a project controls it, or somebody who is invested, quote unquote, too much in it has control over it. And even the, the senators themselves have said in proposing this legislation that they did it to, as a backstop, have somebody that is held liable for when things go wrong. And I think that in and of itself is the wrong approach. We have this huge history of pressuring third parties. And then once a technology comes about to remove third parties, policymakers want to reinvent them. And that should be a red flag right from the start. So what are the specific elements of attempting to do this, or at least in legislation that has been offered, what are they trying to do? So it really boils down to this, this, at least with the, the CANSI Act, this attempt to define control as anyone who directly or indirectly has a hand in the project. And going beyond that, it could be any terms that the Treasury Secretary defines. And that is just an awful approach right from the start because we've seen how giving broad discretion to regulators is a mistake, especially when it comes to things like financial surveillance. And unfortunately, they're really not alone in this pursuit because even though this is probably the worst thing we have on the table right now, we see other senators and other members of the House also pursuing different means to try to rope people in. One example was proposed just yesterday in a markup where Representative Bill Foster wanted to license anyone in the United States 
to have a cryptocurrency wallet. So you have this self-hosted wallet, no third party. This is the, the digital equivalent of your wallet in your pocket or your purse on your arm. And here this representative says, you need to have a license for that. You need to have a license with FinCEN and any cryptocurrency that touches an unlicensed wallet, prohibited, blacklisted. Now, I, I think his motivation was to say that if a cryptocurrency had been laundered or used in illicit activity, you can't use that. But let's think about why this is so troubling. We have a global system, an inherently borderless system with cryptocurrency. That means anyone outside of this U.S. licensing regime would effectively create illegal cryptocurrency. Anytime it touches a wallet in, in England, in France, in Spain, or anywhere else, all of a sudden, that coin is blacklisted because it's outside of the U.S. licensing regime. regime. And that's, that's, again, just a fundamental mistake that shows that policymakers recognize the challenge of having a system without intermediaries. And rather than say this is a new system, this is something novel, they want to just mangle it and rope it back into the existing structure. I've used this example many times years ago when Virginia discovered that it was that sangria, the drink, was de facto illegal under Virginia law because it was a combination of, as you may know, fresh fruit and wine and liquor. And wine and liquor are taxed differently and they do not understand how to regulate that. It is very difficult. How do we even tax a jug of sangria that is sold at a restaurant to a group of people who are sitting down to a meal? So this has a sort of happy ending, I suppose. The state lawmakers carved out a sangria-sized hole in the alcohol regulation regime in the Commonwealth of Virginia. But, you know, it sort of speaks to the fact that, look, if we can't neatly apply our, so to speak, old wineskin to this new wine, then, then we just need to shut it down and just make it really difficult. And, of course, that's not how we uh, foster new technology or the development of new technology. Exactly. And... That's probably one of the, maybe not the most troubling pieces of this equation, but it certainly is troubling this just general hostility to something new. Because you're absolutely right that we don't carve the future out by blocking anything different. And yet we're seeing time and time again that both the, the current administration and some of the, the regulatory agencies are seeing this as something that just needs to be stopped, that just needs to be uh, pushed down. A great example, if I recall correctly, one of the sponsors on one of these surveillance bills was Senator Roger Marshall. And I think at one point it was either him or another member said, can't we just stop all this? Can't we just stop everything that's happening in the, the cryptocurrency markets? Just everyone stop, stop trading, stop inventing, stop innovating, stop, stop thinking about it. We just need a pause. Let's do a timeout. And don't get me wrong. I, I can totally sympathize with there's a lot going on and there's a lot to understand. 
but you can't put a pause on the world because you don't understand it. That's just one of the many costs of operating in policy and in the real world. So, you know, aside from all that, the standing athwart history, shouting stop, Elizabeth Warren, she has a posse, oh no, an army, sorry. (laughs) That's a different meme. She has an anti-crypto arm. Who is, who are the people who are, who are super animated against the development and deployment of cryptocurrencies in the U.S.? Who, who benefits? You have a weird mix. Some of them want to kind of protect the existing banking system. Some of them see this as only crime taking place. And some of them just see it as this useless technology. I think those are the three major camps of critics. And so we can discount the useless technology folks right off the bat, (laughs) right? Useless. There's a lot of things that are useless out there, but that doesn't mean that we then regulate it so that it remains useless, right? You just sort of ignore it. Exactly. It should be something left to, like a perfect example is it should be left to the private sector to test, to innovate. If it doesn't happen, let it die. On the same token, you should not have the government creating it because then you get it in perpetuity whether it's useless or not. So if it was the government creating this, like for example, with attempts to create a CBDC, I think yes, absolutely. The government should not be allowed to do that because it does not stand to benefit. But if people in the private sector want to experiment with this and try it out, let them let them have their fun if you see it as useless. Fine. That's category number one. Off the table. So next, we have the folks who are focusing on crime. And I think this is maybe the best of, of the arguments because they see real crimes taking place. They see scams taking place. They see concerns across the market and they want to stop that i think that's good if we see something bad happening we should always want to stop that we should want the best things to happen to our friends the problem is when we get our vision clouded by headlines and anecdotes because although we can pull up stories of scams taking place and 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 crimes taking place if we actually dig into the data of what's happening here we see that it's just a fraction of a percent of the total activity in this space that is associated with illicit activity. Just a fraction of a percent. The vast majority of people are doing normal business or mundane tasks or even something useless. And when we see it from that lens, it becomes very different. If if it was only taking down the world and destroying everything as we know it, then you'd have an argument that it needs to be stopped. Then you can make that argument. But when we dig behind the scenes and see what's going on and see that it's really not that bad, that's a very different story. And you can't justify it off of that. Up to this point, I'm fairly sympathetic. Uh, I am less sympathetic to the third group, which is bankers. Exactly. I'm, I'm definitely with you there because this is a space that has competition to an extent, 
but has slowly been concentrated. And we see that through regulatory barriers that have been erected for many different reasons. But it's the point of it is that it's been making it more and more costly to offer financial services and to enter this market. So it's pretty remarkable that we have something that's actually offering a sense of competition in a totally unforeseen area. A totally new direction is coming in to inject more competition into the financial services space. And naturally, there are special interests that are not very happy to see that. A very common call and maybe the the least controversial of them all is they say that Well, if they're going to get into this business, they need to be adhering to all the same rules as us, even if they don't do all the same things as us. They need to suffer the same costs we do. And that is a troubling argument as well, though, because we shouldn't just regulate for the sake of regulating. Well, and the argument is I have to comply with a bunch of stuff. These guys, therefore, should also have to comply, I mean, at its most basic level. And That, you know, there is another argument they could be making uh, that would also level the playing field with respect to financial transactions. And what argument would that be? Reduce our regulation to make it easier for us to engage in a similar kind of cool stuff that these guys are. And that would be an argument I could actually support. Sadly, maybe a topic for another podcast One of the big barriers that I think stops them from doing this, at least the traditional financial services, is this fear of regulatory retaliation. Is once they start advocating for, let's cut down all the rules, they worry that they're going to get the the attention of the regulators. And so I I can sympathize a little bit, although I don't sympathize with the kind of occupational licensing type of argument that's here. I can kind of understand why they might not make that case, although that is why here at the the Center for Monetary and Financial Alternatives, we very much argue that with all the problems with creating new laws over cryptocurrency, with all the new problems there, we can't lose sight of the fact that even the traditional system needs to be reformed as well. Nick Anthony is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.